I have a few questions for my uh, colleagues. Let me Hi, this is Jasmine, and I'm your host of Rebuilding Government. We all know that government technology isn't always the most up-to-date, but it may shock you to learn that only 7% of U.S. federal employees are under the age of 30. The nonprofit Coding at Ford is trying to change that. Their trademark program is the Civic Digital Fellowship, a technology, data science, and design internship program that sends innovative students to D.C. to solve pressing problems in federal agencies. Today, we will be chatting with Rachel Dodell, CIF's Executive Director, and Nick Marta, a 2019 CDF Fellow, about bringing young technologists into government. We discuss the birth of Coding Up Forward, government hiring processes, and how a stint in Washington offers incomparable experience for the mission-driven student. We'll first chat with Nick, who spent this summer as a product management intern at the National Institutes of Health. He's also a Stanford student pursuing a bachelor's in political science and a master's degree in computer science. Let's hear from him. So Nick, why did you initially apply for the Civic Digital Fellowship? So I was looking for an opportunity to use the tech skills I was building in the classroom uh, in the public sector. Um, I'm studying computer science and political science at Stanford. So I'm quite interested in that intersection between technology and government. And so the Civic Digital Fellowship was exactly what I wanted to do this summer which was use the tech skills I was building um, at a government agency. And so the Civic Digital Fellowship paired me up with the National Institutes of Health, where I was a product management fellow. And I helped the National Center for Biotechnology Information move uh, their data to the cloud and create tools for researchers to be able to use those new tools. And were you always interested in both tech and government? Or like, could you tell me about how those interests came about? For sure. So my interest in them when I came to Stanford were disjoint. I was interested in tech separately from government. I've always been a big politics junkie. I've always enjoyed playing around with technology and um, all sorts of analytical things. But it's only in the past year or so that I've seen these interests start to converge um, in one direction, which is applying political science ideas to the realm of technology. I've been interested in questions about how we govern emerging technologies And then in the other direction, I'd be interested in how we can use technology to make government work better. And so I got to explore the latter this summer. Okay, cool. Um, I was wondering if you could go a little bit deeper into um, the work you did in product management for the NIH and some some of the challenges that you were able to encounter and then overcome. Sure. So the National Center for Biotechnology Information hosts the nation's and arguably the world's biomedical data. We're talking about over 40 petabytes of data, and the NCBI is trying to move this data to the cloud. And so in the process of doing that, they have to explain how to use the new tools and data in the cloud to researchers that have potentially never used the cloud before. And so I spent my my summer building tutorials um, and documentation for these new tools. Um, And so I was collaborating with subject matter experts, product managers, technologists within the NIH, doing user testing, writing documentation, and putting these tutorials up on the NCBI's website. And what's also important to remember, and something I didn't even know when I got there, is that the NCBI is a heavily trafficked website. It's one of the government's most visited websites. It has over 1.5 billion visits a year. And so we have to make sure that whatever we put out there is, is good content, because it's going to be used by a lot of people. And we'll see a lot of backlash if things don't work. Absolutely. And who are those 1.5 billion visits from? It's all over the world, and it's all sorts of different types of users. We're talking about um, researchers who are using this data to, um, using data from the basic local alignment search tool and sequence read archives to 
publish new research um, at the forefront of biomedical research. We're talking about doctors who want to access PubMed so they can see the results of the latest study in, um, in a realm related to what they work on. We're talking about high schoolers who want to do science for projects um, and play around with some of this data and new data science techniques. And so it's a wide variety of users, um, not only in the United States, but all around the world. And so we have to also keep in mind that there's some users that know how to use um, cloud technologies, but don't know how to use the basic local environment search tool. And then there are a lot of users who are uh, the complete opposite of that, who have been using the basic local search, basic local alignment search tool um, for the last decade, but they have no idea how to use the cloud. And so user testing was something that was very important this summer. Absolutely. And so I assume that um, this summer was not your first professional experience in coding or something like that. And because I'm hoping that this podcast is going to reach a lot of people who might be interested in applying for the Civic Digital Fellowship or other jobs being a technologist in the government, um, I was hoping you could maybe compare and contrast uh, your experience this summer with anything that you've done before in terms of whether there was more user research involved or maybe like the technical challenges were different. Could you just go into that a little bit? For sure. So there were two major things that really stood out to me, um, that the scope of what I was working on was massive. Um, so we're talking about, as I said earlier, 1.5 billion visits a year. And what that really means is that every small change that you make has a huge impact. And I've worked in kind of the startup world before, I've worked in academia a little, and neither of those things have the same amount of impact. In the startup world, you might be having a large impact for 100 users, which obviously is a big deal, and once you scale, that can be great. But here you're starting out with a huge scale. And so even if you can improve some government service by like 0.01%, that can have a huge impact when you aggregate that across everyone who uses that platform. The other thing that really stood out to me this summer was that the incentives are different in the government. Um, to receive funding and continue working on what you're working on, you have to please higher level management and sometimes even Congress. And in, in industry, often you're just trying to make money with your product directly. And so the funding incentives are different, which changes the incentives of the actual work you're doing. And so for us at the NIH, that was really meaningful because pleasing our bosses was effectively the same as pleasing our end user. And so we had to just work to deliver value to our user instead of thinking about how we raise money with whatever we're building or commercialize whatever we're doing. That sounds super cool and also very complicated, but it does sound rewarding <laughs> for sure. Certainly uh, was. Yeah. So um, what do you think was overall, like I know you've talked about the scope, but something that you really, really liked about the program Oh, um, and the way it was run? The people, hands down. I know it's a cliche answer, but it's also extremely true here. Um, the other fellows were some of the most interesting and amazing people I've ever met. Um, so the fellows ranged from being 18 years old to 29 years old. They were from, I believe, 34 different universities working in all sorts of different roles. And it was just really awesome to get to talk to all of these people learn from their backgrounds and their perspectives, see what they were working on at their respective agencies. So we were split across six different agencies and um, the types of problems people are working on have a lot of similarities and they're also very different. And so you get to learn a lot from that and also kind of bounce ideas off each other. Um, while we were in DC, we also got to go to a whole bunch of different places that worked in the intersection of technology, policy, business, government, and those opportunities were also amazing. Um, that's something I'm really grateful for the program for facilitating. Um, they were able to really, really get us in front of a lot of really awesome people. And we learned a lot from that too. Yeah, it does seem like that would be pretty hard to get if you were to just find your own internship in government somewhere, having the community around you and the exposure to a variety of like careers in DC, whether technology or otherwise. So overall, I was wondering how this summer's experience impacted um, your idea of a future career path. Obviously, like being an undergrad, you have no clue <laughs> exactly what that's going to look like, but I'm sure it had some intuition or impact um, on how you think about what your role is to make change. Right. So it very much cemented that I want to work in the intersection of technology and government. Um, I'm still uncertain as to what that intersection looks like for me. 
So I've now explored um, applying technology to the government, and I'm looking to explore applying government to technology uh, at some point in the near future. And after having had that experience, I think I'll get a better sense as for uh, which direction I want to work in. Um, but I needed this experience, and this summer very much showed me what working in civic technology is like. And I very much enjoyed it, and I want to stay connected to the space even if I don't end up working in it. Mm-hmm. And I also saw that you put together this pretty cool proposal about picture grants with a few other people from um, like the CDF. And could you tell me more about that? Because I think it yeah. sounds like a cool idea. Well, thanks for the publicity here. Um, <laughs> we're trying to get this in front of as many people as possible. So um, appreciate that. But the idea basically is that universities aren't doing enough to help get young civic technologists into the government. And so there's, there's a big problem right now where uh, roughly 3% of the federal tech workforce is under the age of 30. And over 14% is over the age of 60. That's insane. <laughs> right. So what that really means is that there are going to be a lot of federal tech workers retiring soon, and no one's going to fill in those gaps. And there's some other concerns here too, right? Like ideally, young students are picking up on how to use new and disruptive technologies, and uh, the government is lacking that perspective, the hustle that young um, entrepreneurs sometimes bring. And also, just for some context, um, more than half the employees at Google are under the age of 30, right? So clearly there's a big disconnect between how industry tackles tech problems and how the government does. And so uh, one big part of the problem is that students that when they graduate from college are saddled with approximately $35,000 of debt. And with debt that large, uh, the incentives are very much aligned for you to go to the private sector where the pay is a little bit higher, the career is a little more um, stable and appealing. And so what universities can and must do is offer loan forgiveness programs for students who choose to go into the public sector. And so Picture Grants is basically a proposal that encourages universities to set up loan forgiveness programs for their graduates who go on into roles in civic technology. So that's engineering, product management, design, data science for a 501c3 or um, a government, whether that's city level, state level, or federal. And these programs already exist in the legal and medical professions, right? Both of those disciplines saw the same problem where their graduates wanted to go on to higher paying private jobs and the public interest jobs were not getting the, the uh, young and um, debt saddled students that they wanted to attract. And so they created similar programs. And so our idea is basically to model a civic technology equivalent of that um, based off law schools and medical schools and help get more young students into the government. Yeah, I think that's brilliant. It's a really intuitive way to unite, like, on one hand, the massive student debt crisis, and then on the other hand, the government's technology crisis. Yeah, and I think, like, even... Even if the program doesn't specifically encourage more students to go into the government, at least it raises awareness about civic technology, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if you have a program like this on campus and your university is talking about it and the computer science department is talking about it and then there's more recruitment from, say, the Department of Energy on your um, college campus because they can talk about this, um, this program that exists, right? And so even at minimum, if it just raises awareness, that's going to help get students into the federal government. And so, and governments um, at the city and state level too. So um, we're trying to get picture grants in front of as many people as possible. So to our listeners, um, if you know people who work uh, in the college financial aid departments or um, are involved with university leadership, um, sell them on this idea. Let's make it happen. <laughs> <laughs> okay, for sure. I will make sure to link to your proposal in the description then. Awesome. Um, so the final thing I was going to ask is just whether there's any area that you hope that um, either CDF or maybe Coding Up For broadly might improve in or add to their program to make the experience even better. I think for it only being three years old and at the speed at which they're scaling, it's impressive how much they've been able to put together. Um 
I think with that scope in mind, it's really hard to be critical of them. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. But, I mean, there are obviously some small things um, that mean some of the other fellows wish were a little bit better, right? Like, um, as is the case in a lot of um, public sector work, especially internships, the pay is not great. Uh, but you kind of, you know that when you take this, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something you just kind of suck up and, you know, don't complain about because you get to do really awesome work. Um, so that that was part of it. Um, there were some problems with kind of the living situation um, this summer. A lot of us weren't super happy about it. But again, right, in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't really matter. Um, and so I, I know CDF, the one thing, one compliment I really want to give is that um, Rachel and Chris at CDF have um, are super attentive to uh, the problems that fellows have. Um, it's very easy to get a hold of them. They respond very quickly. They try to take care of the situation as fast as possible. And so huge shout out to Rachel and Chris for uh, making this program possible. Um, they, they really have put together an amazing program and they've scaled from 14 to 55 people, I believe, in two years. It's, it's amazing how they've, how they've done it. Okay, cool. Um, well, th- that's a really helpful perspective to get your firsthand experience there. Um, I'm definitely hoping that this is going to reach some people and inspire them to apply. I'm pretty sure Rachel mentioned that the applications are going to be in November, I think. Uh, so uh, thank you for your perspective. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I would certainly encourage anyone who's listening and interested in um, using their tech skills for, for the good of humanity to apply to the program. It certainly was a good experience and I would highly recommend it. Great, thanks Nick. Yeah, thanks Jasmine. So what made Nick's amazing experience possible? We'll now hear from Rachel, a Wellesley graduate who serves full-time as the executive director of Coding at Board. Rachel tells us about her personal pathway to government, the organization's rapid growth, as well as its long-term goals. How are you, Rachel? I'm great, thanks for having me. Of course. So I first wanted to ask about you personally and how you got interested in the intersection of technology and government. Sure. So from a young age, I had been involved um, with both my local and state government. I'm originally from Arizona. So growing up um, in high school, I joined my mayor's youth council and then um, also my governor's youth commission. Um, both of which were awesome opportunities for students to get involved and learn more about how the government functions. And I was really hooked from the the understanding that these services affect everyone, um, my neighbors, my friends, um, you know, people across the other side of the city that I had never met. But I, I really understood that government services were inherently important to our everyday lives. We might not think about the pothole or trash getting picked up, but ultimately it was the government and my local government that was responsible for those things and, um, you know, made me really excited about figuring out um, how those systems operated. So um, after high school, I I went to Wellesley College in Massachusetts and thought I was going to be a political science major. Um, And my first semester in college, I was taking um, a kind of different course load because we had shadow gradings. We didn't get um, real grades assigned at the end of the semester. We had um, pass or fail grades. So I figured it was a good time to experiment um, and figured out what I enjoyed academically. So I took um, a class in American politics and then also a course in um, like computer science 101. Um, And I was taking both kind of concurrently and um, my American politics class, we were reading a lot of literature and, you know, papers and and those sorts of things from the founding of our country. And while I obviously more than understand the importance of, of reading those things, what I was really excited by when I was doing my homework at night was my computer science class um, and actually having the challenge of building tools um, creating something from scratch. Um, and as my professor that year kind of like to say, like making magic. Um, and I was much more inclined, um, to kind of do that homework first. Um, but I was also at the same time interested in understanding how the efficiency of government structures could be improved, um, more so than, you know, discussing and debating, um, the Federalist Papers. Okay. Yeah. So that's super interesting. So did that 
interest in both making government more efficient as well as like your growing skills and interest in computer science is that what led you to founding coding at board yeah so um after my first year of college i ended up working for a, a small digital firm back in um, arizona and we actually helped pass um a local transit bill um it was a 30 billion dollar proposition to expand light rail um, across the city of phoenix and that really got me hooked on the power of digital to transform um, stories and campaigns and um, local government and, and really understanding how can we use technology to empower people and to tell their stories and to get folks involved um, at the, the city and state level. Um, and at that time, organizations actually like the U.S. Digital Service um, and 18F were really beginning to take hold um, at the federal level. Um, so these kind of innovation units um, were popping up after the healthcare.gov crisis that we're all familiar with. Um, and I really wanted to understand, you know, how could I get involved um, on this really grand scheme of change? Um, you know, I had done a lot of work at the state and local level, and I, I wanted to understand how I could do something that affected the whole country. So um, I was not on the original founding team. It was actually a team of three. So um, Neil Mehta, Athena Khan, and Chris Kwong, um, who were three Harvard students at the time, um, two of whom had actually taken a class at the Kennedy School with Nick Sinai, who's the former U.S. Deputy CTO. Um, and Nick taught a class on innovation and government, um, which was a field course where students actually had the opportunity to work with a government partner for the semester. And at the end of that semester, um, you know, Neil and Athena were really curious about how they could continue to do that work. But unfortunately, organizations like the U.S. Social Service and 18F don't offer internships. And so, of course, um, being kind of the, the entrepreneurial students that they were, um, they asked Nick how they could kind of create their own program. Um, so Nick put us in contact with a man named Jeff Mizell, who is a former Presidential Innovation Fellow and at the time was serving as the Chief Marketing Officer at the U.S. Census Bureau. And Jeff had really been searching for young technical talent to assist his team with various projects, but was going to college career fairs and, and other kind of marketing opportunities and finding that folks um, our age, young people, were not interested in government. They did not go to the government tables. They were going to Facebook, Google, Amazon, literally any other company at the career fair besides the Census Bureau. And so, um, you know, we kind of were able to meet up with Jeff through Nick and essentially explained there actually is a group of young people who's really passionate about doing this work. Let's see what happens. And so that June, um, the first class of Civic Digital Fellows was launched. Um, we received over 220 applications from over 80 colleges and universities across the country um, in a span of 10 days. So obviously there is a, a lot of demand for, for this type of opportunity and a lot of people who showed similar interests from across the country and, and working at this federal level. Um, so how I got involved was I was actually part of that first cohort of fellows um, back in June of 2017 at the U.S. Census Bureau. So that first summer, there were 14 of us from 11 different colleges and universities, and I was actually the only one who had interned in Washington, D.C. before. So I ended up spearheading a lot of our programming, a lot of our, our social opportunities, um, and really getting people involved outside of their day-to-day -day work, but also fostering the, a fellowship community. Um, and then given my background in digital work and digital marketing, I also helped transform the brand of Coding It Forward. So, um, you know, redesigning our website, logo, all those sorts of things, um, got the right people involved to, to really take the, the nonprofit to the next level as well. Mm -hmm. And so uh, the program has grown really substantially in just the past few years, right? I think you all are at, it was at 55 this class? Mm -hmm. so, yeah, so I was really wondering when this guy, when um, this previous person who had gone to the career fair set up these booths and was unable or unsuccessful in finding uh, really motivated young people who wanted to work in government, what is... Uh, like coding it for and the civic digital fellowships outreach strategy 
such that you are able to recruit tons of people who are interested in this very work? Yeah, so obviously that growth didn't happen overnight. Um, like I said, the first year we had 14 students from 11 different colleges and universities. Um, and after that summer, we kind of recognized there actually was a huge demand from students for this type of opportunity, um, but also from the federal agency side that we um, ended up expanding to five additional partners after that summer. Um, and, and part of that kind of outreach strategy was really word of mouth, to be frank. Um, we had a lot of students who were going back to their home universities and speaking with their friends and telling them about the opportunity that they had. But then on the agency side as well, we had agency colleagues talking with one another. And the Census Bureau, being a statistical agency, also works with a, a lot of other agencies. So word spread pretty quickly across the government about the opportunity as well. So it's it's really a two-way street, right? We have to have demand from the government um, to want to hire this type of technical talent, but also students who want to be engaged. Um, so the following summer in 2018, which was our second cohort, um, we had 36 students from across the country who became involved um, with the fellowship at six different federal agencies. Um, and that summer we had over 800 students apply. Um, and then this past year, we had over 50 students, as you mentioned, from over 32 colleges and universities across the country, um, and over 1,000 students who applied from over 200 colleges. So um, it's grown like wildfire, obviously. Um, and like I mentioned, word of mouth has actually played a really huge role for us. Um, the other thing that we're able to do um, that traditional government internships don't is we offer a really um, seamless application experience. I think that's one of the biggest challenges that the federal government has right now. Um, going on USA Jobs is a really daunting prospect um, for anyone who, you know, might be an undergrad just looking for a technical gig. And the other thing that we found when we were originally searching for these opportunities is when you went on USA Jobs and you typed in something like technology, the internships available were specifically to install Microsoft Word on computers for a summer. So they weren't something that really attracted, um, you know, kind of modern technologists. Um, it was more of an IT opportunity. So for us in, in marketing and, and orienting this fellowship in a more modern way, having an application experience that is simple and easy, right? Like you can apply to an internship at Facebook, literally using your Facebook profile. Why can't you apply to the federal government in as simple of a manner? Um, so, so we were able to create a simple application interface as well, which I think takes away a huge barrier to entry um, for many students. Absolutely. So um, in that process of trying to find buy-in on both the supply and the demand side, I'm curious for how CDF um, does project scoping in terms of ensuring that the project students work on are a good fit for them in terms of being technically interesting, like not just doing IT work, uh, but doing things that can really refine their skills as well as things that the governments actually need and want. Yeah, so um, like I mentioned, um, we've now worked with uh, six federal agencies per summer, eight agencies in total. Um, and it really starts with our team sitting down and having discussions with those teams to understand their business needs. I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, this is about students coming into government, not to just tinker on something that's not going to get used, but instead to make a real and substantial difference in the life of American people um, and lives of American people, I should say. Um, and, you know, essentially sitting down and talking to them, we try and understand the technical requirements, the ultimate impact that the project might have, how um, long they expect the project to take, because you know, fellows only have 10 weeks. That's a very short amount of time in government. Um, and ultimately, if there's a champion at the agency who's overseeing this project, and, and what that means is traditionally we have investment from either a chief technology officer or chief information officer um, who's really invested in seeing the transformation of their agency and its work um, in a technolo technological fashion. Um, so, so we work with the agencies pretty robustly to scope out the projects. Um, then on the fellow side, um, obviously when we're reviewing applications, we're looking for technical expertise. 
um, you know, willingness to work for the government and excitement around that. And also the ability to hack through bureaucracy because at the end of the day, um, the government has a lot of red tape. That's not something that, it's something we have to all work together on um, since it's a really big structural issue. Um, and, it, and it has been happening for decades in government. So, um, you know, finding the students who are eager enough to go in and are really excited to tackle those challenges head on is, is another um, big part of our process. So again, it's a, a both sides thing, right? Making sure that the agencies are ready and technically prepared, and then also making sure that we have the top tier talent coming in um, tackling these problems. Mm-hmm. So you said the phrase, hack your bureaucracy. What does that mean? Sure. So um, it's a phrase that's pretty widely used in the civic technology community, but generally kind of refers to this hacker culture um, concept where, you know, people are very innovative, um, you know, find kind of odd solutions around things. Um, And the idea of obviously the bureaucracy having so many rules and regulations, it's not a matter of doing anything illegally, right? Obviously, we want to observe the rules and policies that are in place and also um, be respectful of the fact that there are federal government employees who have worked for their agencies for decades and hold much more knowledge and institutional um, knowledge than I will ever have. However, um, hacking bureaucracy really refers to being able to to bring in innovative approaches, perhaps using human-centered design to ask questions, um, understand what the true struggles are of people interacting in certain ways with Um, the government, both from the citizen perspective, but also from the federal employee perspective, um, and making making solutions that allow them to get around those roadblocks, right? Um, There could be something as simple that perhaps it's a software issue. Perhaps there's um, kind of an outdated legacy rule at the agency that is preventing people from installing a certain type of software on their computer, finding those little wins and really being able to, to innovate and, and find solutions to them, um, whether that's a technical solution or whether it's just talking to people, which I would say about 50% of the time it is, um, just a matter of talking to someone, um, it is what hacking the bureaucracy is all about. Of course. Um, so I guess a related question I might have. So I was talking to Um, various people and trying to crowdsource questions that they might have if they were interested in either like applying for the civic digital fellowship or working in government. And so one of one of my friends, um, who's a computer science student, mentioned that she was worried that because there are relatively fewer technical employees in infrastructure and government, that in terms of career development and skills building, it would be more difficult. And so she was wondering, what's the case to start out your early career from within government versus, say, going to a more traditional technology company, building those skills, and then moving into government when you're a little older and a little more experienced? Sure. So I think this is something that both people inside and outside of the government are currently wrangling with. Um, Right now, to be frank, there are very few entry-level positions for technologists in government, and it's something, again, that the Office of Personnel Management and our team and and other teams within government are thinking pretty robustly about because, like I said, less than 3% of federal IT workers are under the age of 30. Um, So it's a problem. Uh, I think a lot of people understand that. I'm not sure that there is a perfect answer. Um, what I can say is that through something like the Civic Digital Fellowship and our experience, we do look for technical mentorship and, like I mentioned, technical ownership from a CTO or a CIO to make sure that fellows are supported um, in their time in government and can feel like they are actively building up their skills and contributing to the work that they're doing. Um, I'd say more broadly, again, in federal government, that this is a, a theme that people continue to work on. Um, and, and continue to figure out, you know, how can we carve out more positions for, for young people with certain technical skills to get involved and be federal public servants. Um, I would say from the private sector perspective, this is certainly something that USDS currently employs, right? So 
Um, the U.S. Digital Service is often an opportunity for folks who are currently in um, their mid-career. And oftentimes those people have worked for big Silicon Valley-esque companies, have worked for startups, perhaps started a company of their own, and now are looking to transition for a term of service into, into the government. I think that model also works, but it ultimately depends on, on what your interests are. Um, if you want to work in the private sector long term and you think that, um, you know, building technology perhaps for a different purpose is, is what your calling is, that's totally fine. Um, but what I will say is that government has an impact and a scale that you can't find anywhere else. Um, and yes, it'll be more challenging perhaps to develop your technical skills and your technical rigor, but that there are communities of practice and opportunities within government to be supported. Um, and I think ultimately at the end of the day, if you're looking um, to make a difference, that there, there's no better place. Um, and there might be trade-offs at the end of the day, but I also think in order to be a public servant and to be a technical public servant, you have to um, want to work um, really rigorously at, at tackling these challenges and to have the personality to realize that, hey, I might not you know, get to do blockchain every day, but I do get to serve tens of millions of veterans who need support um, and who want to apply for benefits. So there's very different scopes of challenges um, and very different types of challenges, but I think that both have their pulls and it ultimately depends on, on what your um, goals are in your career. Um, but I will say that a, a term of service, if you regardless of if you're a lifetime public servant or if you're doing a tour duty model like U.S. Digital Service or 18F or the Presidential Innovation Fellowship, that there is a place for you in government and that everyone's skills are needed. Um, it's more, I think, of a, a personal preference and a personal challenge as, as to whether or not you um, would like to do that long term. That makes sense. I think that's um, a super helpful clarification of what you gain um, from a government role that you wouldn't in other situations. Um, so related to that, I know that one thing that you all really emphasize and that's important in uh, building products for government or in any sense is the idea of human-centered design and like really strong user research practices. Um, I was wondering if you could speak to that. Um, sure. So I think... Um you know, in like any modern development environment, um, you know, you think about your end users and who will actually be using your product or service every day. I think likewise for the government, at the end of the day, the government exists by the people and for the people. Um, it is ultimately serving the people of the United States. Um, and at the end of the day, um, those people are what is at the center of every single agency, department, et cetera. And federal, state, and local government. It doesn't matter where you're working. Ultimately, the idea of public service is that you are serving the citizens of, of that government. Um, and I think in that vein, human-centered design practices make a whole lot of sense. Um, if a service or a product isn't working for the people you're serving, obviously um, that's a problem and you're not accomplishing your end goal at the end of the day. Um, so for us, what that generally means is it might not follow the exact principles um, and the exact methods of, you know, any designers who might be listening, what they're used to practicing. But what we do encourage is asking questions, knocking on doors, talking to people, understanding their perspectives, and really keeping those at the core of the work you're doing. Because if you're not talking to the people who are using that product and service, you're not gonna be able to build something that works for them. So for us, um, it's really about delivering on this promise of serving the people and, and using kind of modern practices and methodologies to do that. Okay, yeah, so one thing that I was curious about, and um, to be clear, I, I don't think this doesn't represent my opinion, but uh, to play devil's advocate for a second. Um, so there is a lot of criticism of programs that encourage sort of service tours, whether that's like, Teach for America, Venture for America, and they say that these programs promote a savior mindset where like inexperienced kids from elite colleges will get sent into environments that they don't understand, be surrounded with experts with decades of experience, and basically think that 
um, they can fix the problem or whatever. Um, and so I was curious what you would say to someone who might suggest that the Civic Digital Fellowship is promoting this kind of hubris where um, very inexperienced, barely entry-level students are coming in for 10 weeks and trying to do something meaningful. Yeah, um, well, I think that's an interesting perspective because it's not feedback that we've ever received about our program. And I, I think there's a few reasons as to why. I think one goes back to what I was just saying about human-centered design and human-centered practices. Um, what we encourage on day one is to go and meet those federal servants and folks that have been serving for decades. And I think what our fellows really understand is that they're not trying to replace those people. They're not um, looking to take their jobs, but instead, um, they're really looking to complement their work with their technical skills. Um, and for us, ultimately, at the end of the day, that's what this fellowship is about. It's a 10-week program. It's not uh, students who are coming in um, to different communities, et cetera, right? All of these students are U.S. citizens. They have interacted with the federal government in one way or another for most of their lives. It's not an entirely different um, standard or idea for them. I think on uh, in addition to that, um, you know, these aren't these aren't ignorant students. We're we're really looking at some of the top technical talent in the country. Students who have turned down opportunities to work at companies like Facebook, Microsoft, and Google to come work for the government instead. Um, so it's not students who are coming in with this preconception of I'm going to solve everything, I'm going to fix everything, but instead are really looking to use their technical skills to serve people. Um, so again, I think because we look for folks who have this public servant mindset instead of um, you know, people who might be doing it for their own reward, um, and I, I can't comment to um, you know, these other programs that you mentioned, but ultimately I think that's why we've been so effective at the work that we do and why we've received such positive feedback from the agencies and people that we serve. Absolutely. Um, so as we are um, closing up, I was wondering what your long-term vision for Coding It Forward was. Like, I know you have other programs like the First Act Fund. Like, in, if in like five years, what kinds of things are you hoping to accomplish? Yeah, that's a great question. I think for us, um, we've really started to recognize that, you know, beyond the Civic Digital Fellowship, there are so many opportunities to engage young technical talent that's interested in making a difference, and that perhaps government isn't the path for everyone, right? There's other opportunities like education and healthcare, um, where people can still truly make a difference, even if that's not at the local, state, or federal level of government. Um, so for us, looking forward, um, you know, right now we've had to reject about 95% of the people who apply to the fellowship and we want to continue offering those people who are raising their hands and saying, yes, I want to serve opportunities. So one way we're doing that, that you mentioned is the first act fund. It's a new partnership, um, in conjunction with Schmidt futures, um, where we're giving small catalytic grants to students with technical ideas to improve society. So, um, the idea has to be technically rigorous, but ultimately it can apply to a range of fields that can be environmental, it can be disaster relief, it could be um, human rights related, financial literacy related, etc. It can be pretty much any subject as long as it is positively impacting society. So that's another really robust opportunity that we're offering. Um, in addition, we also have a biweekly newsletter um, that has a few thousand subscribers called Pivot to Civic, um, where we actually post entry-level opportunities in this space on a biweekly basis, and that's for anyone um, who wants to subscribe to, to read. Um, and we've actually had a lot of success and, and great stories from subscribers where they've actually found their jobs and full-time positions through us that they didn't even know were out there. Um, I think in terms of the longer term goals, since those are more short term, um, ultimately we're looking to, to give every student who wants to serve an opportunity to do so. Um, that could be at, in the federal government. I think there's also a lot of opportunity for us to expand to the state and local level, um, and specifically governments that need technical talent at those levels. Um, and also since that's kind of where I got my start, I think that's also um, really personal for me and something that I'm very excited about doing. 
Um, and I think in addition to that, um, expanding our programming opportunities like the First Act Fund and continuing to think of innovative models that encourage young people um, to use their skills for good. Because ultimately right now, there aren't a whole lot of opportunities. That's what inspired us to start this organization in the first place. And so encouraging this culture shift um, amongst technology organizations and nonprofits and other places that entry-level talent can actually contribute and make a real and substantial difference is what's um, most important to us going forward. Great. Well, I'm super excited to see um, the expansions and the new programming that you all have. Um, so uh, that's really great to hear about. Um, we usually close off with a quick lightning round um, of questions, which you can just provide like a one sentence answer to. Uh, so th the first question is, what's the best thing that you've read recently? Oh, gosh. <laughs> it can be anything, like book, article, like anything. Um, I actually just read um, an article this past week that I really liked called The Tech Clash Has Come to Stanford about how um, technology students at one of the most rigorous, um, you know, computer science programs in the country are really coming to terms with the fact that um, Silicon Valley might not be living up to its promise. Um, I thought that was a really interesting perspective um, from the news. Um, also yeah, say, I love that. I, yeah. I read that too, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that was a good article um, and gave an interesting perspective. The other book um, I'm currently enjoying is um, Weapons of Math Destruction, which is about algorithms and algorithmic bias. And I think as our workplaces and even government starts to move towards using um, more means of artificial intelligence, it's also important to understand kind of the negative effects and um, the problems that can come with that as well and how us um, as human beings or how we as human beings um, can have adverse effects on technology um, that folks haven't been considering beforehand. Mm -hmm. That's a great recommendation. Um, next question is, who has been inspiring you lately? Oh, gosh. I think, um, first and foremost, our Civic Digital Fellows. Um, I like to say that they do the hard work of, of being at agencies each and every day. Um, and, you know, being surrounded by over 50 students um, from a range of backgrounds. Um, this summer was so energizing to see how excited they were about serving, um, how engaged they became in the civic community in such a short amount of time, um, and how um, excited they were to bring their, their new skills and new ideas back to their communities. Um, that was very inspiring to me. Um, I think also organizations that we really look up to, um, like the U.S. Digital Service um, team, as well as 18F, um, have been really inspiring to us on this journey and, and continue to be really wonderful advocates and mentors um, for our team as well. Great. Um, and finally, I know this is a little bit of a tough one, but what is your vision for government and what it could be in a hundred years? I think my vision for government is one that efficiently and effectively serves people. Um, you know, whether that's going to the DMV and waiting an hour in line to, to get your driver's license or whether that's veterans having challenges, um, getting served by a healthcare system and potentially you know, waiting in line and, and dying as they wait for service. Um, I think to me, an efficient and effective government wouldn't have any of those problems. You would be able to be served when you need to be served and get help when you need help. Um, and ultimately, I think we're not living up to our promise of a government by the people for the people until we're able to serve the people um, in a manner that is robust and efficient um, and effective and ultimately has the outcomes that I think we'd all like to see, um, you know, whether that's making sure that veterans receive the care that they need or whether that's making sure that people are getting um, answers from their local government about a pothole on their road or a, a road sign that's having a problem or, you know, going to their local DMV and being able to get a driver's license in 10 minutes instead of two hours. Um, that would be the dream. <laughs> yeah. And I think just reducing kind of those wait times and those poor experiences and instead implementing opportunities for people 
um, you know, like we said earlier in this conversation, to have experiences that are really designed for them. Um, I think that would be my ultimate goal and dream. I think there's this kind of funny theme of people being like, we need blockchain for government and we need this for government and we need, you know, name your ex crazy technology here. Um, and yes, I understand the desire to keep up with the, the technical times, but at the same time, you know, government is still decades behind from a technological perspective in a lot of ways. And I, I think improving what we have and making sure that it's doing its best possible job um, it is what's important. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that when you talk about having those everyday interactions, whether it's healthcare.gov not crashing or being able to go to the DMV, that's, I feel like, what inspires people to really trust government and know that it's serving them. And I like to think that maybe if those little things worked a bit better, then we could have uh, more faith in our democracy in general, because you can see the ways where it serves you, um, which currently doesn't always happen. Definitely. Yeah. I actually had a conversation with the um, ambassador of Estonia to the United States this summer and I learned that in Estonia, you can actually file your taxes online in three minutes or less. Um, That's crazy. <laughs> right, which was kind of mind-blowing to hear from the perspective of someone who's obviously grown up in the United States and has only had to file my taxes with the IRS. Um, that was such a mind-blowing concept to me that something which seems um, to create such agony amongst people here um, can actually be such a simple and easy thing to do um, where it takes three minutes out of your day. Yeah. Yeah. So that's our hundred year vision. It's filing our taxes in three minutes or less. Well, <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for talking with me, Rachel. Um, I really appreciated it. Um, again, I think that putting it forward and the civic digital fellowship are doing great work. Um, anyone who's listening, still in college, wants to work for the government, really encourage you all to apply for the next cohort. And hopefully Rachel's job doesn't get too hard with um, all of the growth that you all are going to see. No, I, I'm looking forward to the next round of applications, which will most likely open around November later this year. So definitely apply. We take both undergraduate and graduate students, and we're, we're super excited to learn more about you. Great. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you. This is Jasmine again. If you want to learn more about what people are doing to rebuild government, please hit like and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Go to rebuildinggovernment.com or tweet us at rebuildinggovernment. If you care what I have to say, my Twitter is at jasminewsen. I'm always looking for friends and feedback. This podcast is part of the Tusky Media Network. You can check out other shows about the world's most impactful and interesting people at tuskymedia.com. And finally, a big thank you to Unit Innovations for sponsoring us. Unit provides technology solutions to governments in order to progress our largest institutions and society. Thank you for listening, everyone. I'll see you next time.